Yeah, you know that current event that happened today? I predicted it. I predicted it. I, you know, it's what I've been telling you. It's what I've been saying. This is what I've been saying. I told you this was going to happen. And because this happened, it, it proves that I'm right. This just proves that I was right. My interpretation of this, I was right about, you know, I'm right. You know, even though I'm an atheist who, um, you know, believes explanations come from rational analysis of measurements we made using the current tools available to us, I want you to know that I can predict things and, and I'm right. I just have this crazy ability. And I see that you have a different interpretation of the current event than I do. Well, it's because you're dumb and you're evil. You're dumb and you're evil. And you made this happen. This is because of you. This happened because of you. This thing that happened today happened because of you. Happened because you think that way. I love it. <laughs> I love it because uh, where are you not going to see that? Name one place. I mean, I, I see it truly everywhere. You know, the most obvious place to see it is anything social or political, the big story of the day. That's, that's the boil down of, of how people respond to it. But you really, you see it in every niche. Having followed the mafia for a long time, you see it a lot there. I mean, it's, it's any subject. You know, some, some news article comes out about the mafia and someone's like, oh yeah, this is, this is, I told you this was going to happen. I told you this was going to happen and that I was going to be right about it. I can tell you right now that I'm right about it. But of course you see it the most in any, any big story of the day in the news. Whatever, whatever it is that everyone's talking about. But I like the idea that like this is because of you. This is because you. Because you have different feelings about this. You made this happen. You know, global warming is a bigger topic. I mean, it's it's a bigger subject than what I'm kind of talking about here. But it's a funny one because it's like you can have two people who live the exact same lifestyle. They both drive a car to work. They both eat the same food. You know, produce a similar amount of garbage. Take airplanes, you know, the same amount every year. And if one of those people says like, eh, I don't know about global warming. The other person's like, oh, this is because of you. The reason it's happening is because of you. You're doing this. But those people live the same exact lifestyles. 
And, you know, there's, there's a lot of climate, so-called climate activists. I mean, there's something kind of like self-flagellating in it where those people will be like, you know, I, I'm contributing to it too. But they alleviate some of that guilt by putting more of it on their enemy or more of it on someone who lives an identical lifestyle but doesn't have the same view on it. Or is even indifferent. Because, you know, there's, there's a war on ambivalence and indifference. You know, you're not allowed to feel conflicted and you're not allowed to feel nothing about something that people have decided you need to care about. It's a no-win situation. This guy I know, who I like, I mean, I, you know, when I talk about like people I know saying things I disagree with, like, I always feel this need to have a disclaimer where I'm like, I like him. But this guy I knew through music in my hometown, we used to go to shows together, talk about playing music together and that kind of thing. I like him. I think he's a great guy. Uh, he inspired me to start running. You know, I haven't gone running in a couple of years, but I, I'm going to again. I just don't have the time right now, but uh, he inspired me to start running. I, I can actually cite him, not directly, but he got he became very accomplished at cross country running, and I was like, I bet that feels good. What it was actually, I'm just going on a tangent already, but what it was is like it was online. Like I hadn't seen this guy for ten years, but one day he posted a picture of his breakfast after running some kind of marathon. And it was just a normal breakfast, but I, I was looking at it. I just I, I glanced at it. It wasn't like I stared at his breakfast, but I looked at it. I think it was like French toast, and other things. It wasn't that much food. Like considering he had run a marathon, it wasn't like, you know, oh look at the cheat meal, oh look at the size of his cheat meal. It wasn't even like that level, but it was just you know it was a hearty big breakfast. But I had the thought. I was like. I bet that feels so good to run a marathon and then just eat that breakfast. And it wasn't like the idea of the reward that got me. It just got me thinking about how awesome it must feel to run like that. And then the feeling of just relaxing and having your breakfast or something, you know. And I, I can 100% say that that planted a seed in my head. I didn't go out and buy running shoes the next day, but it planted a seed in my head. But anyway, I really like this guy. But he had posted something today that was like, I don't understand how people can be on the wrong side of history, which I didn't know people were still saying. But it was like, I don't know how people can be on the wrong side of history when it it's basically an open note test. You know, you you uh, you're basically given the answers, and yet you you still choose to fail. I thought that was, I'd never seen that exact thought stated before. But it was like, isn't it obvious that we're right? Isn't it obvious what the, the right side of history is? Again, I didn't realize people were still saying the whole right side of history, wrong side of history thing. Because, you know, you know these, these twerps like Ben Shapira, you know, he... He milked the whole joke, like making fun of wrong side of history. 
or right side of history, whatever it is. Like he made fun of that a lot. Like you know, once like the twerp pundits, you know, the the twerp conservative pundits, like once they latch on to something like that and try to do their own parodies, one they beat it to death, and number two, um, it's done. Like you're done with it. Like we saw that with safe spaces some years ago. You know, when the idea of safe spaces first started being introduced, like everybody, everybody that I like, I wouldn't say that. There are people I like who believe in that shit, but it's like all of the people who I, I truly get along with heard about that and was like, yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking gee. That's fucking uh, ridiculous. But like the, the twerp conservative pundits, like, they heard about safe spaces and they're like, oh, what's the matter? You need a safe space? Oh, you're going to cry about it in your safe space? And, and it, you know, and they just hammered that home for years. Just repeated that joke for years. Yeah, it's, it's, worth, it's worthy of mockery. But when those guys latch on to something, like when Ben Shapiro like started ironically talking about the right side of history or the wrong side of history, I mean, like I was done ever mentioning that term again when I said, want to see the right side of history? Go to a fucking cemetery. You want to know about the right side of history and wrong side of history? Go tell them about it. Go see what a graveyard has to say about the right and wrong side of history. That was, that was my final word on it. See the kind of answers you get there. But, uh, you know, some people latch on to that. But anyway, I was kind of just surprised to see anybody. Because even, like, lefty people I know, they're not even saying that now. Like, the people I knew who were saying that aren't saying that now. But this guy apparently is. It was just like, and it wasn't even something he had written. It was something he had reposted but it was like I don't know how people can be on the wrong side of history right now because it's an open note test all the answers are given to you how could you possibly have the wrong opinion about something highly nuanced but it is this everything is a very simplified view and the thing is though that's not wrong You know, these things are often much simpler. Like, there are nuances to them that you have to pay attention to. But a lot of it is just instinct. And I don't know, I don't completely trust anybody who doesn't live a life where they feel like they have to self-censor and they're okay with it. Like, when it comes to opinions, one, it's very unnecessary. I'm an opinionated person, but most of the time, my opinion is very unnecessary. And, uh, you know, sometimes someone will say something to me, though, and I feel the need to self-censor. But I'm completely okay with that. Not the fact that I have to self-censor. Like, it, not if it's a, um, not if I feel like I have to self-censor because I'm being coerced to do so. 
But if I just feel like, oh, I should omit what I actually think of this, I don't feel bothered by that. I don't feel like I'm missing something because I couldn't share my opinion. You know, the idea that my opinion is inappropriate and should be censored, that makes me want to say my opinion. But the act of just not saying it doesn't bother me if it's my own choice. And often it is. But, uh, you know, very few people, though, it's, it's, you know, people, they jump from a total lack of confidence. Like, I'm stupid. I don't know. What do I know? I don't know anything. I'm just a, I'm just an idiot. And people often say that as a defense mechanism. You know, you see, if you if you watch comedian podcasts, they'll they'll do this thing, this like this defensive maneuver where they're like, "Well, what do I know? I'm just a guy who makes fart jokes. <laughs> I'm just a guy who makes dick jokes." <laughs> even though they're talking about the thing, you know, even though they they have an opinion, and even though they do consider themselves observant and smart and often are i mean comedians are often observant and smart whether you think they're funny or not whether you hate hate a comedian or not they're probably more observant and sharper i i I don't even like to use the word smart dumb anything like that just having the realization that like so many things boil down to i can't believe how dumb you are and that, you know, in saying that, you're implying your own intelligence, especially when it's something that has nothing to do with actual intelligence. You know, it's just something, it's, it's a matter of interpretation. And it's like, oh my God, I, you, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. I'm not. You know, when I realize like, just how much boils down to that, I, I try not to even use terms like smart and dumb in any context, even, even when they belong. It just made me not even want to think that way. And the way that's measured, you know, like I've said on here many times over the years, you know, I measure intelligence by awareness. I got my job, like, you know, this is the first time in many years, but most of my adult life, it's probably been since 2009 since I've worked with people who weren't college educated and weren't and have no intention to and are just making minimum wage that kind of thing and never once during all these hours I spend with the, these people never once have I thought like oh they're not they're stupid I recognize that they don't have certain skills and I recognize that certain people are just less aware. And some of that's circumstantial. Like there was an 18-year-old kid who worked for us who was just so overconfident. But you expect that of him. It doesn't mean he's dumb. Like it made him come across dumb. Like his his puffed out chest, it, it, it made him seem dumber than he was. But he wasn't dumb at all. Um, but, you know, most of the people, they're very observant and aware. 
they pick up on very small things. They notice a lot of things. And that's my only baseline. And even in that, it's not really a hierarchy. Like there are certain people I've known in my life who are particularly aware and I see them as elite. Like my friend Miles that I always talk about on here. Like he to me is in on the elite level of awareness. Like the things he processes and notices. It's an elite level of awareness. I've known, you know, a lot of my friends. The reason why, like my closest friends over the years, the people who have staying power in my life, have an elite level of awareness. They might not be that um, intelligent in the ways that other people would measure it. I mean, they are highly intelligent people in most cases, but they might not be somebody who someone would be like, oh, he's smart. I think often they're a combination, but but still, it's like awareness doesn't depend on the ways that we measure intelligence, but I measure intelligence by someone's level of awareness. It's why, you know, my dog, it's why Batty to me, you know, he's part of that. He, he has an elite level of awareness. Not just what he notices, but he learns from everything. You know, I was watching a video of this very small cat in the ju- who lives in the jungle. And it was, talk- it was like showing footage of some nature documentary about this little cat who lives in the jungle. I don't know what it is. But it just, it spends all day exploring. And it learns from every single thing that happens. And I'm like, elite, that's an elite level of awareness. The fact that this little creature just explores and just notes everything. And how, you know, I've talked before about how, you know, the story of, of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, how, you know, when they eat the apple from the tree and gain knowledge what they're actually gaining is awareness self-awareness is part of it because with awareness comes a level of self-awareness that's often scathing it doesn't have to be but self-awareness is often scathing and that's what happens to Adam and Eve where it's like they're like, we're naked. They start looking at themselves in a way that they never had before. And it's like, I, I need to change this. I need to put a leaf on my groin. I need to wear something. But my favorite people, like, and often when I, I know, even if I never become true friends with somebody... I'll meet people and I know I could be friends with them based on what they admit to noticing. In school or work or any situation you're in, when I notice somebody else noticing the same things as me, not that those are even necessarily the best things to be noticing or the most important things to be noticing, but when I notice that they are noticing the same things as me, I know that I can talk to that person 
And it's it's because it's that person is aware. And I think if you can turn awareness into sense of humor, if you can notice and find the humor in noticing, even if it's something horrible, even if it's something horrific, if you can find the humor in awareness through awareness, you found something just endlessly valuable for any situation. You will be endlessly amused. You will be endlessly entertained for the rest of your life. But, uh, you know, this idea that I'm right, people who disagree with me are dumb and they're evil. How could you be on, not be on the right side of history? It's, it's an open book test. The answers are right there in front of you. And interestingly, the answers are the same ones that I'm right about. How could you not be right, like me? Oh, because you're dumb and you're evil. And you're making all the bad things happen. All the bad things are happening because of you. I'm genuinely amused by that way of thinking. But it's just, it is, it, it's so omnipresent that um, you got to tune it out a lot. Because it, it applies to people I agree with, too. You know, this isn't just people that I disagree with. Otherwise, I'd be doing the same thing I'm mocking here. Oh, you ever notice how the people I disagree with, they're not aware? And they always think they're right? No, I, I see it with people I agree with all the time. It's a universal human trait to say, I predicted this. This is what I've been telling you. I told you this was going to happen. This is what I've been saying. I'm right. It's, it's universal. Other people who don't see, see things the way I see them, they're dumb and they're evil. They're dumb and they're evil. I'm dumb and I'm evil. Oh, you want to know a little something about me? I'm dumb and I'm evil. I'm dumb and I'm evil. Dumb and evil. But you, yeah, you, you can't even do that though. You know what I was saying a minute ago, like, you can't even, like, make the defensive maneuver of, like, oh, what do I know? I'm just a comedian who makes dick jokes. Why are you listening to me? Well, you're making a, an observation. You're, you are saying something. You know, you are saying something. But yeah, I do like how everything fits in, though. It's like anything that happens. It all can be locked right in. See? See? This is what I've been saying. But it is funny, like, how many people out there uh, of all different minds and beliefs, people who hate each other, they all have a need to say, like, I predict this. 
Because I have known people with an uncanny ability to predict things. They just have a sense. But a lot of people, they just, they throw out these just generic predictions all the time. Because there are, I mean, for one, there's a lot of people where, like, they didn't predict anything, but they're going to claim they predicted it. You know, there's a lot of that. But there are people who predict things, and it comes true, or it comes to pass. But that doesn't mean anything either, because it's like those people, they're often making such generic predictions. It's the equivalent of being like, oh, see that car that's uh, stopped in front of that red light? I bet it's going to drive. I bet it's going to start moving when it, the light turns green. And then it does, and they're like, this is what I've been telling you. They make such easy, generic predictions that yeah, anybody could have predicted that. And then when people don't predict things, they lie and say they did. I told you. I told you I was going to be right. I predicted this, and because it happened this way, uh, it, I'm right. Dumb and evil much? You dumb and evil much? But then, you know, the idea is that... Um, I just like the idea, too, that, like, if you disagree with me, you are causing all the worst things to happen. If you disagree with me, you're more to blame than I am. Oh, you don't 100% agree with me about global warming? Huh. You're more responsible for it than I am. You disagree with me about the, the case where the police officer killed so-and-so? Oh, you're the reason that kind of thing happens. You, ca you basically caused this. You're basically guilty. And I want you to suffer. But, uh... I don't know. People are locked into that. You know, it's just, it's a universe, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that just, it draws you into its orbit. Because, like everything I talk about, I know what it is to talk that way. I know what it is to think that way. When I was younger, when I was in my late teens and I'd say early 20s, probably longer than that, but definitely during that period... Me and select friends like really love to talk about how like, oh, we knew this was going to happen. It would often be about obscure things, though. And I think I think we did predict some strange things within our small sphere of interest that otherwise weren't predictable. And we just kind of saw them coming. I mean, I'm being vague there, but. I do think we were able to kind of see some things coming that weren't obvious. Because I'm right. No, but I do believe that. But when I look back on that, I do think about like how hung up we were on that way of thinking. How much we wanted to feel like we were, oh, we have this ability. We can predict things and we can, we're right. 
But of course, you know, if you have doubt about something, you know, you're you're not going to want to say like I'm wrong. And it's such a phony game to like play to play this like lack of confidence game where you're like I don't know anything. Well, who am I? You're a human being like the rest of us. Like I I don't do well with you know meekness. Sometimes it's genuine. But a lot of meekness and a lot of self-doubt, the way self-doubt is presented doesn't come across to me as genuine humility. It actually comes across very vain and self-serving in many cases. Like when someone says, like, I don't know anything. All I know is that I don't know anything. Even though that is the truth, like we really are just... We have these few reference points, these relatively few reference points in our lives, and we try to make sense of everything based on that. You know, what can we truly know? Not to get all philosophical here, but, you know, I, I do believe that. Um, that said, like, I think when you, when you milk that a little too hard, when you pull on that a little too hard, I think it actually often comes across more vain and self-serving than just being overconfident. Oh, I suck. You're like a pool shark. Oh, I suck, but I'm going to beat you at pool and steal all your money. Beat you at pool and steal all your money. It's kind of a pool shark approach. Like, I'm dumb and I don't know anything. But in doing that, I'm going to actually one-up you. You know, I do think that's a, a pool shark way of thinking, way of living. And, uh, I don't know, there's, there's no way, there's no way to, um, like, contextualize your own intelligence. Especially, like, one to yourself. Like, I have no concept of my own intelligence. Like, I'm glad I think the thoughts I do and, you know, I'm, I'm content with my brain as much as someone could be. But I, I have no way of conceptualizing, like, whether I'm smart or anything like that. I'm not saying I'm not. I just, my life doesn't involve thinking about that. I can't wrap my mind around it. And for the last number of years, I, I don't do that with other people either. Like, I'm not weighing their intelligence from one end of the spectrum to the other. Like, sometimes you do meet people and you're like, oh yeah, this person is actually dumb. Or you'll meet someone and you'll be like, this person is actually very smart. Like, you do meet people like that and you notice it. But the vast majority of people, I'm never evaluating that. It's not, it's not the way that I process people at this point in my life. And it's not the way that I process myself or how, what I think. 
I just try to think things. Like, if I try to think anything or say anything, I just want to entertain myself and hopefully say something that's true. Even if it's not, you know, even if it's, it's actually not true. Like, even if it's something like just some, like a joke that's not true. You know, I want it to like, I want it to feel real to me. I don't know what that means, but I want it to feel real to me. And to entertain me. But, uh, I don't know, like, and too, like, going back to the prediction thing, like, the universal human need to, you know, to, like, make yourself out to be Nostradamus, Nostradami. You know, I often feel sick when I'm right. If I predict something, it's not a proud moment. Not because the result is necessarily good or bad. Not because the outcome that I predicted is good or bad. But I just kind of have this sickly feeling. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, oh, that ended up happening. Oh. It's not a proud moment. It's not a shameful moment, but it's not a proud moment. And it's not necessarily something I want. And the things that we often try to predict and claim that we predicted, they're often negative outcomes. Like when a positive outcome occurs, like people are less likely to brag about having seen it coming. This is what I was talking about. I saw this coming. Very rarely is it something good. Oh, this great thing happened. I, I told you this was going to happen. You never hear that. It's when something we perceive as bad happens that we want to brag about it. If you just listen to me. If you'd only listen to me. It's an open book test. Being right, being on the right side of history, it's an open book test. How could you get this wrong? It's so obvious. Is it? I mean, is it really? But you wonder, like, how do you get people out of that? Because like I said, this is all so familiar to me because it's, it's something everybody does or most people do, including me. It's difficult for me to not do this. You know, last night I was thinking about something I've talked about in here before, which is like the preloaded, aggressive statements people make. Like, if you ever mess with my family, you're going to get, I'm, you're going to meet, you're going to see my fangs. Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. I'm a rattlesnake and I'll get you if you do that. Fuck around and find out. Mess with the best, I like the rest. Try that in a small town. All these slogans people have. Like, oh, if you mess with me, this is going to happen. And, you know, political groups, social political groups take this on. You know, Antifa, 
big one is like fuck around and find out and you can see with the conservative side of things don't tread on me but um what I was going to say about that though is like there's something universally human the reason why like these opposing groups all come up with sayings like that and like individual people who believe a certain way then adopt those and say those is because there's something in us as human beings that feels compelled to and I know because there are times where I almost want to say that there are times where like, I feel like puffing my chest out and what I want to say is some sort of like preloaded aggressive statement. You realize like a lot of rap music has that built into it, a lot of rap lyrics, and people quote that. I'm the best and everybody's trying to tear me down. But they're going to find out that, you know, I'm better than them and they're going to have to kiss my feet. And then I'm right. They're going to find out I'm right. If you mess with me, you're going to find out I'm right. But there's the universal compulsion to say things like that. No matter what you believe or who you are, you will come up with these, you know, phony, defensive, preloaded, aggressive statements. And how there's a similar universal compulsion to act like you predicted this. Oh, I saw this coming. I told you this was going to happen. And because this happened, I'm right. Because of my interpretation of why this happened, it just proves that I'm right. And if you see it differently, if you perceive this differently, you're not just wrong. You are dumb and you're evil. It's a universally human way of thinking about things. And how do you get someone out of that? Well, one, it's not your job. You know, it's not your job to do that. It's not your right. And more likely, you will come across self-righteous and you will fail if you try to break people out of that. You just have to get yourself out of it. You have to resist the urge to express yourself that way. You have to resist the urge to try to tell people I'm right or to even think that. And that doesn't mean thinking you're wrong. I mean, I'm at a point where like when I read about current events, because I do like to know what's going on and I do like to see how I interpret it and to see how other people interpret it and not feel an emotional response. Sometimes you do, but... I like to not feel an emotional response to it and just kind of gauge it. Um, and often I do feel like my interpretation is right. I very rarely express it, but I do feel that way. And I also feel a compulsion like I want to say it. But usually I end up having the thought like, oh, someone else is already saying what I was going to say anyway. And because they're saying it, that frees me up. Maybe if they weren't saying it, I would say it. But because they're saying it, it gives me a little more freedom. I can focus on something else. 
But yeah, being able to stop yourself, not that you won't feel those things, but being able to stop yourself from doing it. And then reach a point where it's just, it's natural. It goes back to what I was saying earlier at the beginning about, you know, not needing, not, not feeling deprived because you didn't ex express your opinion on something. Like you can, you, you know, you can make the decision to not share your opinion and not feel like you were deprived because of that. Yeah, if someone's censoring you, that's a little different. When someone's trying to tell you what you can and can't say, that's a little different. And that doesn't make me want to fight a little more. But when you just simply don't say it, when you simply don't share your opinion, you're not being deprived of anything. And you should, you know, really pay attention to yourself when you do feel deprived of things. I've said this about alcohol. Like, one of the reasons I had to quit drinking is because I could go, you know, periods of time without drinking at all. But when I drink, like if I had a single drink or definitely two or three, I would feel deprived of something if I didn't continue drinking the rest of the night. Once I reach two or three drinks, if I don't continue to get drinks, I'm going to feel deprived of drinks the whole rest of the night. Whereas if I don't have any drinks, I don't feel deprived. Like having quit drinking years ago, I don't feel deprived when I don't have a drink. But if I have a single drink, I'm probably going to feel deprived if I don't continue to do that. Same thing goes for snacking. Like if I eat a handful of potato chips, I'm going to feel deprived if I don't get more. I'm probably going to feel deprived until I finish the bag. And I'll probably feel deprived of even more chips that I don't have because I ate them all. But if I don't have any potato chips in my house, I'm not going to feel deprived of that. It's having any, having some is when the, the deprivation starts to kick in, interestingly. You know, I don't know if money works the same way, but like, if you only have a little bit of money, are you more likely to feel deprived if you don't have more money? Whereas if you truly have nothing, not just a little, but if you truly have nothing, do you feel de as deprived of money as someone who has a little money but wants more? I don't know. I just know that I started to pay attention to that feeling of deprivation. And it doesn't mean it's always easy to stop yourself. I know with like binge eating, it's very difficult for me to stop myself. With other things, I've been able to stop myself. And with binge eating, like I live a healthy enough lifestyle that it, it doesn't really um, end up impacting me that much. I have an active enough lifestyle that it doesn't impact me as much as it could. I'd like to not do it. But still, um, fortunately, it's like I do have things that counteract that. But uh, there's other things that I 
with I've had other things where the deprivation feeling is there and I've been able to like cut it out of my life entirely and then not feel deprived. Alcohol being an example. Like I don't feel deprived of alcohol. I once loved to drink. Something I'm starting a, a poem. There was a man who once loved to drink and then he one time he puked in the sink and it made him start to think. Bink, 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 bink. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. But uh, it's trying to rhyme. Can a man rhyme? Can a man just be allowed to rhyme? Um, but yeah, just cutting it out of my life entirely, I don't feel deprived of it. But trying to moderate it would make me feel more deprived. So I just ha- I don't have any. There's other things that I, I wish I was more moderate about. But they, it's not worth cutting out of my life entirely. I don't know. All right. This is how you got to do it. This is how you got to do it. You got to do it like this. No, no, no. This is how you got to do it. I'm right. People even do that about food. People do it a lot about food. I know this is the best burger in town. I know the best burgers in town. And I'm right. Oh, you like that place? You're wrong. No. Do it about music, of course. I mean, the way people talk to each other about music, like, I like the good music, and that means I'm right. I'm right about that. You like bad music, and that actually means you're dumb. I'm guilty of thinking that way, you know, in, in some ways. You know, less now than when I was younger, but... I don't know, this is just a side thought, but I'm always amused by... the very thin margin between... God, they're so underrated. I can't believe people aren't talking about this all the time. This band is so underrated. Why is nobody else talking about this? Like, I I, I know something people don't. And how quickly that, that can become... How, how quickly that can become, like, everybody's talking about this. Oh, my God. Everybody... I wish people would shut up about that band. Everybody's talking about that band. Oh, everybody says that. Everybody thinks that. Like, the very thin trench between, the narrow trench between, like, nobody and everybody. And how easily, and how, like, we insert ourselves into that in this weird way. Nobody's talking about this great thing. I can't believe nobody's talking about this. I'm talking about it. I'm onto something. But man, why aren't people talking about this more? But how quickly that thought mutates into everybody's talking about this. Why is everybody talking about this? I'm so sick of everybody talking about this. I'm not talking about this. What does that say about me? It means that, you know, I'm, you know, it's just so many different ways of expressing, like, I know something and I'm better because of it.
I know something and I'm better because of it. I know something and that makes me better. It's almost like what it, what it feels like. It's like someone constantly trying to cast a spell. It's like someone constantly trying to do some kind of Jedi mind trick and failing. And just the, how heavily we try to convince because it's all for other people. It, it is to make, it is to like stroke your own ego, but your ego doesn't exist without other people. You know, your ego is largely, I don't, I don't know what uh, Freud said about this, but your ego, you know, so much of your ego, maybe even the entire thing, you know, and, and the idea of ego, I mean, that, that, as if that's actually what it is, but, you know, what gets called the ego, you know, how much of it is your feelings about other people's perception of you. Maybe not your feelings, but how much of it is like based on how you think other people will perceive you. It's not just blind self-confidence. It's like this confidence in how you think other people see you or rather like how you want them to see you. Oh my God, he's so narcissistic and self-absorbed. No, real self-absorption is different. I've never really liked the term self-absorbed. Because, I mean, someone who keeps to themselves is self-absorbed. You know, what gets called narcissistic or self-absorbed is often someone who's more concerned with other people than anybody else. And how other people perceive them. It's like I like to say, people thinking about people thinking about people. People thinking about people look thinking about people. And we like to think that other people are thinking about us. We may not even like to, you know, we may not even like that, but we do it. You know, it's interesting being these kids' boss these days because just my gaze feels deliberate to them. Like, I notice some of these young guys who work for me, I'll see them in the aisles, I'll just be walking by. Like, I, I'm very rarely monitoring them because most of them work fine they they work hard or they work at least adequately they they do at least they're competent they're basically competent you know there's some people who get off task and some, sometimes i have to say hey you know get back to work whatever but i build that in too like i like i'm okay with like a, a certain ebb and flow like i'm okay like if i come around a corner and there's like three or four employees talking in a circle if they've been generally getting things done, I'm fine with that, and I think they need that. And I'll join the circle and shoot the shit with them. I mean, it's just, I think it's a necessity. But very rarely do I go around with the intention of monitoring people or caring about what they're doing. 
I care about what they're doing, but, but very rarely am I concerned with what they're doing as long as they're doing something. And if they goof off, like my, my philosophy on that is like some people are going to goof off or slack off, but I want them to, to be good at it. Like we had a kid who worked there when we opened who wasn't very good at it. He was a, He slacked off, but he was not good at hiding it. Whereas there's people now, there's a couple of them now, where like, I know they slack off sometimes, but they're good at not seeming like they're slacking off. And that, it's like thieves. Like, if you're going to be a thief at the store, be good at it. If you're incredibly obvious and you suck at it, you're going to piss me off and I'm going to try to get you out of the store or have you watched. But I know there's thieves who like, we would never think they're thieves. And I would rather they not steal, but the fact that they aren't obvious about it, I'm almost like, well, you know, you earned it. Same thing with slacking off or anything like that. Well, you know, if I don't see you slacking off all the time, you kind of earned it. At least you're good at it. At least you're good at that. But anyway, what I was going to say, though, is like my gaze, my eyes, I notice like some of these young guys, like when I walk around, they are always looking at me and they look nervous. Like, oh, the boss is, is he's looking at me for a reason. Like he's I, I, oh, the boss is potentially gonna like crack down on me or do something and generally I'm not and a lot of these people are often working hard when they're doing it but still it's kind of built in that like I have the the I have that role over them and because of that it's always possible that I could be doing that but it's very rare that I actually do But they see something different than the reality when they see me walk by and just glance in their direction. Like they, in their mind, like, oh, he's looking over here to evaluate me. When, yeah, I I like to know what people are doing, but it's like very rarely am I going around with that critical of an eye. I'm just, okay, I'm walking around. But the fact that I am who I am in in their daily life adds this, they project something onto me. They can project something onto my face. If I look unhappy, I might not be, but if I just have a dour look on my face, they might well think that like, oh, the boss is mad. I hope he's not mad at me. The boss is mad, and I hope he's not mad at me. The boss is mad, and I hope he's not mad at me. But, uh... That's something we spend a lot of time doing. Are they mad at me? If you date someone, oh, is she mad at me? I hope she's not mad at me. Is she mad at me? Are you mad at me? Are you mad? Really worried about making people mad. I'm so worried about making people mad. 
I'm so worried about making people mad. Good. Mu- we need more music like that because that that kind of music's right. But yeah, we spend a lot of time worrying about that. We're very sensitive. We are very, very sensitive to other people. And we worry a lot about making them mad. Worry a lot about someone not liking us. Oh, he must not like me. I've gotten that a lot in my life. Like, people assume that I don't like them. And there's people I don't like. And when I was younger, there used to be more of them. I used to not like more people when I was younger. But I've often been falsely accused of not liking people. Like, women in particular, I've noticed, um, will think, you know, even just in a social setting, like, I don't think he likes me very much. One time I was at this party, it was when I hung out at this bar all the time, and there were these people, they were probably like in their 40s, and they held this party, and all the people that they knew from the bar were there, and some other people, but there was this woman I had never seen before, and she was just kind of like, just had a very rough demeanor. I'd say she was probably in her mid-40s heavy set. She would almost seem white trash, but she wasn't. She had that way of talking though, just a very rough tone to her voice. And I remember like somebody gave me a micro dose of acid. I was drinking a lot, but somebody gave me like a little bit of acid and I I could I could feel something. I haven't taken acid very many times in my life. I've only had like one true blue acid trip and it it was just a single tab, but it was the only time in my life where I've been like, oh yeah, I am on acid right now. Most of the time it's like, am I, am I feeling it? Am I feeling it? And I, and yeah, you know, I have felt it a little bit and this was kind of one of those nights where I wasn't tripping, but I could feel that I took something beyond the alcohol. But everybody was around a fire pit outside. It was, there were a lot of people there. It was a pretty big party. And you had to go inside the house to use the restroom. And I was leaving the restroom and walking outside. And that woman was coming in. And then, like, we passed each other. And I was feeling the acid. Like, I remember there was a video camera in the bathroom. Like, not not like a surveillance camera. There was just like a a video camera sitting on the, the counter. And I remember just like picking it up and like looking at it and holding it and being like, yeah, I'm tripping. Like, if I'm feeling the acid a little bit. This is weird. But I, and then when I was leaving the bathroom, like that lady was coming in and like I hadn't talked to her the whole night. I was really aware of her because I was like, she seems really rough. Her personality and voice are really rough. And she seems kind of out of place here. And then she was coming in into the house as I was walking outside. And we like passed each other without saying a word. And I just kind of kept my head down. And then I was about 10 or 15 feet away from her. And I just hear, you are just completely afraid of me, aren't you? And I like stopped in my tracks 
and like I turned around very slowly because I just I didn't even I was like is she talking to me and I turned around and it was her just like looking at me and I just like laughed and I and I walked away I didn't even answer it because I was just dumbfounded you were just completely afraid of me aren't you and I was like that's weird like what is she talking about like she was somebody that I wanted to avoid but it, it wasn't like I was at this party I was like I'm afraid of her oh my god but it was weird that she perceived that that like in her mind I was afraid of her And given my state of mind with like this little bit of acid in me and stuff, like I just truly, I, I was just in disbelief that she was saying this to me. But like in her mind, like she was thinking about what I was thinking about her. People thinking about people thinking about people. So it's it's like a hall of mirrors, you know. It's it's like staring into a mirror that has a you know. You're standing in, you know, there's a mirror to your back and a mirror to your front. And when you look into it, you know, you're seeing the reflection of you in this other mirror, which is showing a reflection of you in that other mirror. And it's just, it, it goes all the way to infinity. And that's what happens when you have an interaction like that. When, when she's thinking about what I'm thinking about her, and now I'm thinking about what she's thinking about me thinking about her and that game of pong bounces back and forth endlessly and it blew my mind that that was even on the table at all but we think a lot about what other people think about us and we assume a lot about what other people think about us. Oftentimes you can kind of you can kind of tell. And we live in an interesting age for that with social media being what it is where if you post something on social media, you are forced to immediately think about how what other people might think about that. And if you post something online and it gets no response, if it gets no likes, there's something built inside of you that goes like, oh, I did something wrong. I suck. I fucking suck. Oh my God. Ah. You know, you, there's a part of you that's going to feel rejected or hated. And if you do something that gets like a, like a very favorable response, you're going to think like, I did something right. People like me. Oh, I'm on to something. And you might be. You've at least like cracked some kind of code, but it might not be that either. Like I remember seeing something a few years ago where this like, this guy in town here like came out as sometimes trans, like... Basically, because this is a guy I know, you know, I haven't seen him in a long time, but I drank with him a few times and stuff. But he's uh, he's got a big beard, 
and he came out as like you know gender fluid where he's sometimes trans sometimes not like sometimes he dresses like a woman sometimes not and I realized about him though that he only does it when he's drunk so it's just he gets drunk and like puts on a dress and fake boobs and takes photos of himself that way it's like a kink you know other people get drunk and get into some other kind of kink you know he gets drunk and he wants to dress like a woman probably gets some sort of thrill out of it um are you are you yeah you know, i hate to even say gender fluid because i feel like ben shapira being like the gender unicorn you have you heard that they have the gender unicorn in schools now and it's a gender fluid gender unicorn the gender the you know i i just hear the voices of the people who mock this stuff and a lot of it's deserving of mockery but the people who just latch onto that and uh this guy though i realized though like oh it's this is just like a drunk kink or a drunk plea for attention or something i don't know what this guy really feels inside but anyway like i'd seen like a few years ago like when he came out as sometimes trans or whatever it was it was like this overwhelming response of like you go girl like if you ever want to go shopping i'll go with you like very patronizing like very human like make a wish foundation like oh you got this girl like if you ever want to go shopping for clothes girl like let me know and it was this very overwhelmingly positive response and like it didn't make me feel like like don't get me wrong like this person was looking for that and got it and i got no dog in the race like about like i didn't see that and go how dare these people do this obviously you can tell from what i'm saying that you know i have a take on just that whole thing but you know it wasn't like i felt like disgust or you know any animosity but i did notice like this overwhelmingly supportive response which whatever you know you know this person was looking for support and got it but it, it didn't feel like uh, it, it felt like make a wish foundation it felt it felt like a trap like you know in the same way that like someone you know when my mom died it was really nice that people reached out and i really benefited from like having conversations about her and having people make genuine statements about what a wonderful and nice person she was. But just like generic condolences, it felt cheap. Not that the people saying it were being cheap, but like the fact that I was receiving it felt cheap. Almost like a cheat code to like get support or a cheat code to, I don't know. It just it just kind of felt that way to me. And I really, trust me, I really appreciated like anybody offering condolences. But when it was just like my condolences type stuff. Or, or you know, even some other things. I remember feeling like, oh, this just feels like cheap. Like if they don't know me that well and like don't really care. I might as well be like coming out and saying like, I'm a, I'm a woman when I'm drunk at night and I can i get a, a little support here and people being like yeah like you're you're a beautiful girl i want to take you shopping 
you got this girl oh hi girl you know it's like it almost felt like that <laughs> it's like my mom died oh my god i'm so sorry my condolences oh you know it, it felt like a, a a cheap way to like get attention even though it wasn't and i and i think i did uh need you know, need to hear some of the people saying that you know i the people who actually i had like genuine conversations with about my mom and her death and who she was like that's a, that was a whole different thing that's that was very meaningful and necessary and helped me a great deal but like just the the obligatory condolences felt like I don't know, like I was just getting, like, like making a plea for support and it was just, it, it felt kind of cheap or something, like a cheat code was, I was using a cheat code. But anyway, um, like I didn't have to work for it. <laughs> um, but some people do, like, they either just have a natural ability or they work hard to, like, get to appeal to other people. And then they get, they, they get like, uh, attention or positive feedback and it, you know, makes them feel like they're doing something right. But if someone doesn't get that, like, they not only feel wrong, they, they often feel wrong... But they also sometimes feel like I'm right and nobody gets it. What I said, because I mean, there have certainly been times where I've posted, you know, just a silly Instagram video that I think is very funny. And I mean, anytime I do that, it gets next to no response, of course. Um, maybe it's not that funny. Maybe people don't get it. Maybe they do get it, but they don't care. Maybe... There's a silent campaign against me. Maybe there's a the universe put out a memo, um, not to give me attention. <laughs> Whatever you people do, don't don't support him. Um, I've gotten a lot of support in my life more than more than I ought to, but uh, but there there have been, certainly been times where like I, I, I I've been amused by something I've said or done and I expect it to resonate with people more and when it doesn't or I don't know if it does there's a part of me that's like oh these people don't recognize like how good this is I mean you do if you're a creative person it's easy to do that too these people don't get the thing that I did that's right but it's coming from that same place of like I'm right it might not be an opinion, but it's like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing something good. And these people are haters. Like we, we tend to think though of in, when we're met with indifference or silence, we tend to see it as a judgment. Like if you don't get a positive response, you might not get a negative response, but if you just don't get any response at all, you might think like they hate me. And I remember talking about this on here a long time ago, but like how in the age of social media and like the haters, you know, you don't see it as much anymore, but you know, there was a solid 
when when social media was rising up, like there was there was a solid decade of people just ranting about their haters. They still do it. I mean, Trumpsfeld had the best one ever. Like Trumpsfeld, like won that game. Like Trumpsfeld said something on Twitter once where he's like, you know, um, I actually love the haters and losers. So it's like they can't. They can't help the fact that they were born fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that's the funniest. That's the funniest response to that kind of thing that I've ever seen. You know, but the number of people from all walks of life who just get sucked into that, and you can see that, um, like you know, we've kind of been on hiatus. We recorded one about a month ago that just hasn't come out. But doing the Mafia podcast, like I have some other friends who have their own mafia podcasts and like from talking to them, like they're, they, they get really sucked into the haters. Like I have a friend who, who has like a, a, a very, a much more widely viewed mafia related podcast. Great guy. But like, it was funny talking to him cause he's like, Oh, you know, like he's like, like how do I stop paying so much attention to like the haters? Like, the the two youtube comments out of a hundred that are you know hating on us like and like should we address this like I, it's like there's this you feel compelled to address that you know it's it's the errant sheep you know it's the story in the bible about you know having a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost in the mountains and you go chasing that one that's what like a negative YouTube comment is in a sea of supportive comments. Like that's the one you notice and there's something inside of you that wants to address it. Like when someone, you know, when that switch gets flicked in some inside of somebody and they start believing they have haters, there's this magnetic pull that makes them want to address the haters. And it's interesting to see that happen in somebody. Like when they start making videos or, or comments where they're like, this one goes out to all the haters. And, uh, but how you can even get to that point without any hate, but you can start feeling that way just because of indifference. And someone who is met with indifference can become just as spiteful if not more than someone who is met with actual negativity like someone who is just ignored in high school someone who is just met with indifference in high school can just as easily become the school shooter as the person who's bullied and maybe that's more likely anyway Someone who posts something online that doesn't get any likes can feel more upset by that or more hated, more disapproved of than somebody who posts something and gets people saying, what do you mean? And, oh, you don't know. Uh, you're wrong. Oh, you're ugly. You do this. You're this. You know, someone can be more upset by the former, like just indifference or just... Uh, an absence like the void upsets people more than a void that's filled with 
attacks, which isn't a void. It's filled with something. But there's so many people in the world, and I think, you know, as much as I try to avoid, like, the shallow, low-hanging criticisms of social media, that is absolutely something that it has magnified, which is, like, people's, the way people self-reflect on their relationship to other people and how people perceive them. It has made people see themselves and see and and project thoughts onto other people in a way that they never did before or at a level that they never did before like someone who lives a life who lived a life pre-internet where it's like oh n- nobody in school or at work ever thinks I'm funny they never laugh at my clever jokes so oh, man I'm, I'm I'm so uh, frustrated you know someone who they might feel that way but now that person has that plus whenever I post something online like nobody gets my jokes and nobody ever says good job and nobody ever liked that oh I came up with such a funny idea and nobody liked my post you know it's on this other level there's this other stage I did something good oh that was a good photo I took a good photo. The thing I did was cool. And nobody thought it was cool. But you can't expect people to to get it. You can't expect people to not think that way because it's it's very difficult and it's not your job to convince people otherwise. All you can do, because I mean, we're all contending with those feelings and thoughts. I contend with them. Some are easier than others. But I've said this before, too, you know, just to finish the thought about like haters and antagonists and detractors. I'm trying to think of a specific word here. Um... Nace, I don't know what it is. I can't remember the word, but it's you'll see it with celebrities, professional athletes. They're like, this one goes out to all the people who said I couldn't do it. And so many people say that. But I've actually seen so little of that in real life. Like, yeah, there are people in someone's life who says like, you can't do that. You'll never do that. But I think that happens far less than people say it does. This goes out to all the people who said I'd never be a famous actor. This Oscar's for you. Oh, this this goes out to all the people who said I'd never play professional baseball. I proved you wrong. And I wonder how much of that is actually people, especially people in any significant number, saying you'll never do that. Versus just kind of people being indifferent. Like, if someone tells me, like, I'm going to be a professional basketball player, watch me. I'm probably not going to say anything. But they might interpret that lack of... And, and I'm not going to say anything, because I, I, I don't even know. this. I don't know what you're going to do. 
But someone could very well like interpret that as, oh, he thinks I, I'm never going to do it. I mean, you see, if you ever have friends who like show you a text message from somebody that they've grossly read into or misinterpreted, I've had friends do that. I've had female friends like show me a text from a guy they're dating, which I never want to see. What are you going to do? Are you going to show me like uh, the sewer under your house too? But I've been at the bar like when I drank I, and I had like, you know, good friends of mine that are women be like, oh, this guy, he said this in response. Like, can you believe that? Like he meant, I, he obviously meant this. And I see it and I'm like, I don't think he meant anything by this. You're just, you're reading into it. You're interpreting something, and then they're like, "No, but you don't know him. He, when he, when he says things like this, he means this." Oh, when she said this to me, she, I think she meant this. And if you see it, and you know, and look at it objectively, you're like I don't think she meant that. I think you're reading and you're projecting something onto this. And I mean, you can intuitively read into things, but a lot of times we get it wrong. This goes out to all the people who said I'd never do it. Yo, this goes, this goes out to all the people who said I'd never have a rap career. That I'd never get a record deal. I proved you wrong. How many people said that to you? How many people said, oh, you'll never have a rap career? You'll never get signed to a major label. How much of it was that? And how much of it was people who were just kind of indifferent or didn't have much to say? Or who just didn't explicitly support you? Because, you know, we're so used to getting explicit support. like, And it, and it comes so cheaply. That when we don't get it, we think we're being naysayed. You didn't explicitly support me. Oh, I see. You're a hater. You're one of the people who said I wasn't capable. You're one of the people who said I couldn't do it. Adversity was the word I was looking for. Like I've talked about it on here. Manufactured adversity. And there's people I know who had really, um, you know, they really lucked out in terms of their family, the circumstances they were born under. I have relatives like this, friends, a lot of other people out in the world, but they they really had it good. But they'll come up with some sort of manufactured adversity story. You know, American. it's the American Idol thing that I've talked about where... You know, you could always tell if someone was going to have a real run on American Idol. And I barely watched it, so I, but I picked up on this instantly. But you could always tell if someone was going to have a run on there because it's like they'd share some sort of adversity story. And it was off, you know, it could be something like his wife died of cancer and, you know, his eyeballs fell out and he had to put them back in his head. His eyeballs fell, he's a single father because his wife died of cancer. One day his eyeballs fell out of his head and his daughter 
had to put them back in and told him like mommy wants you to have your eyes mommy told me to put your eyes back in mommy's ghost and he's a single dad who works as a trucker and he, he has a beautiful voice and he's just, he's just trying to make his baby daughter's life better after mom died you know it's like if that was a story on american idol you're like oh this guy's gonna have a run and you have to have a story like that but they'll make it up too if they don't have it here's what they struggled against here's how hard they fought to get here like on american idol you wouldn't see he was born a prince he lived in a beautiful garden behind the castle behind the palace gates he had servants. He had the best voice trainer. He had the best voice coach who taught him how to sing perfectly. He had every everything lined up. He had luck and fate on his side. He's a prince with a beautiful voice. Nothing bad has ever happened to him. You know, no, you have to come up with something for that person to be celebrated you know so it's like but then you can see where the common people people who aren't trying to be singers people who aren't trying to do this or that like even in their everyday lives will manufacture adversity stories or they'll per, they'll and they'll come to believe that or they'll project it onto situations that where there wasn't even any adversity. But this feeling of like you're always fighting people. You're always fighting against people's perceptions of you. Or you're fighting, you have to fight to let people know that you were right. You have to fight to let people know that this is what you were saying. I'm so upset because this thing happened and I, I knew it was going to happen. And I'm it, it plays into the fact that I'm right. And I can't believe you're so wrong about it. But, you know, you're dumb and you're evil. And telling you that is definitely going to convince you to see things my way. But people like you are the reason why, you know, I worked so hard to be right and good. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's all the same thing to me. It's all the same thing to me. And I'm entertained by it. And I fight these demons myself, inside of myself. My haters are my own inner demons. <laughs> my haters? Oh, you mean the... At least, and it's all... It's it's the phantoms. For a while on this show, all I talked about were these phantoms that people have. But that's that's what they are. You know, we... We live these lives where these phantoms exist in our mind. You know, we're arguing with these phantoms like, oh man, like I'm right about this and these phantoms are wrong. Can you believe these phantoms think this? It's an open book test and these phantoms are failing. 
the open book test. They're on these phantoms are on the wrong side of history. Can you believe it? It's so easy to be right and they're wrong. Oh, these phantoms don't think I'm going to be a professional baseball player, but they're wrong. These phantoms don't think my band is good, but they're wrong. And these phantoms are actually dumb and they're evil. And they should see things my way. These phantoms should agree with me. And because they don't, I'm just going to tell them they're dumb and they're evil. That's a, that's a, that always works. When I don't agree with somebody or, or just I'm at odds with somebody, it always works to just tell them they're an idiot. And all the bad things that happen in the world are because they are wrong about things. That always recruits people. It's a, one of the best recruit way to recruit someone into your own way of thinking is definitely to do that. Funny. But these phantoms, the, the truth is they're dumb, they're evil, they're wrong. And they're getting in my way. They're hating on me. They're, they're, they're trying to block me from being great. They're trying to block everybody else from seeing how right and great I am. These phantoms, man. These fucking phantoms. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children